First thing I want to look at, we're going to look at a little bit of masculinity, a little bit of femininity. First, I want to look at men. So, right, masculinity. Uh, the three, obviously, the three things that uh, Eldridge said you should know the three desires of the masculine heart <clears throat> a battle to fight, a beauty to rescue, and an adventure to live. Now, the thing I want to reconcile here, hopefully, is not so much that, that those three things, right, a battle to fight, a beauty to rescue, and adventure to live, that they're not in men, you know, men's hearts, even in the modern day and age, they are, I think. But what I want to reconcile is, is that the most exciting battle to fight, <laughs> the most incredible adventure to live, and, huh? and the greatest beauty to save, exists within our faith. That that's what we're missing. You know, I mean like, I think that a lot of uh, modern young men, especially, even old men, you guys, I was amazed. I, I was almost disgusted. I was on the, the lift, this is when I was, uh, for my vacation, we went out to Big Sky. And this guy was talking to us, and this dude was like 65. And uh, he started talking, you know, he got to kind of, I was talking to this other guy and he piped in. Because he's like, yeah, you know, we went to this bar last night. And I'm like, oh, you know, how was that? He's like, oh, you know, it was, it was all right. We had a good time. And the guy's like, this, this old guy's like, yeah, I went to a bar last night too, hooked up with a couple chicks. And I'm like, what? He's like, I don't even want to tell you what I was looking at on the internet last night. And I'm like, you know what strikes me is so amazing is this jack wagon will say that to me, but refuses to go to confession. Guys refuse to go to confession. I couldn't possibly talk about Father. You don't know what I've done. It'd take you a whole day, you know, just to hear everything. It's all just this show. It's all this. But yet, they'll go and talk about their exploits that are freaking disgusting. I don't want to hear about a 68-year-old man's time with two women. That's disgusting. And what he was looking at, good Lord. So, I mean... I think what we have to understand is that what men have done is they have made like the highest good pleasure. You know, and the man in his adventure is so centered around woman. It's just insane. And women on the other, you know, women love this because they feel like they're like these really special people. And like these guys just are all like, oh man, you're the best, and I love you. And, and this adventure that these guys are going after is this pursuit of the woman. But not to love, but to lust. And the battle, you know, then the battles come. I mean, there's all types of battles you hear about within those these dating relationships or these this hookup culture that we live in. And the beauty is not rescued. The beauty is enslaved. So they're trying, to, they're trying to live by these things. It's just all screwed up. And that's because this masculine heart, these three things that Eldridge lays out, have to be governed by the faith. However, right now, I think if you look at modern Catholic men, their highest aim is to be a good boy. That would be the height. And I'm talking at large. You know, I'm not talking, there are some really good men, awesome men, that, and, and they're... they're and they're manly men, you know, guys I know within the church. But I think if you look at it, right, they're like, they shouldn't drink, they shouldn't smoke, they shouldn't swear, 
And that's about it. Like, that's the end of masculinity within the church. And I think if you look, as Eldridge says, if you look at modern man right now, Christian men, they're bored. They're bored. Now, you can't blame them. I mean, like, when, part of me is because, you know, the, the, emasculi- the emasculating nature of what has happened to the church. You know, women have tried to take over. And women are awesome. They're always in the church. They're always so good. But when they start taking power away from properly manly positions, it causes an emasculation of the faith. And men don't want to be part of it. I consider it one of my greatest goods if I can get a guy to fall in love with his faith. I seriously mean that. Because women have a spiritual nature already about them. They already understand it. And I'm not saying that just like the gays, oh, you know, the hell with women. I just think it they get it quicker than men do. And I think it has a lot to do with the maternal instinct. They understand love better than men do because they understand what it is to sacrifice for children. It's just built into it. So you guys kind of, ladies, you kind of have a little bit of an edge on us men when it comes to the faith. But what I want is I want to see a man come alive in his faith. You know, his greatest good now is not the size of the boat that he has or how much money he has. It's about how he sacrifices for his son or his daughter or his wife. And then when he does that, something comes alive in him. And when he goes to church, he sits there and he listens and he's attentive because he realizes that Jesus Christ is a man, a solid man that taught us about masculinity. That's a great good. That's how this adventure to live, beauty to rescue, battle to fight, that's why all those alls are reconciled. So that the man isn't like, the battle I gotta fight is kicking everybody's ass. Fighting all the time. The battle you gotta fight is to wage against your demons inside of you. Your passions. That's your battle. You wanna be a real man? It doesn't matter if you have a big ass truck. It doesn't matter if you can drink a case of beer. Can you control yourself? Can you control your passions? Can you, be a big, can you be a better man? Can you be the one that says, you know what, I'm going to walk away from this? That's what masculinity is. That's the battle that needs to be fought. The adventure to live is holiness. It's not pleasure. Because pleasure runs out. The adventure to live is holiness. And that adventure is a wild, freaking adventure, you guys. We just, we, just, we just don't give them a chance. We don't take them as a model of holiness. We take all these other substitutes, all these counterfeits, all these lies. And we put those, we set those up, and we say, just as in Exodus, right, when Aaron comes forward with the golden cap, and he says, Israel, here is your God, right? They had just met the Lord on Mount Sinai. And Aaron says, here is your gods. And Israel's like, woo! And they all start having sex and getting drunk. And Moses freaks out on them. This adventure, this, these three aspects of the masculine heart need to be put in con, they need to be reconciled with the faith, okay? I put a thing of movies where the men like the aspirations and dreams, right? Like, like, think about what captures men's hearts. I think in the end it has to do with dying for the one they love. When I say a beauty to rescue, right? it's not about like just conquering a woman. And that's what goes in a lot of men's hearts. I gotta conquer these women. Is it that I have to die for this woman? 
You know, and I just want to show you just a couple. We're not going to watch all of them. Just a couple clips that capture men's hearts. And they capture women's hearts, too. Although some, it's hard to stop because they're such good movies. I mean, what man doesn't say, holy crap, I want to be that guy? I think he looks like me. He's got the beard. talked about this violence, right? And you just showed us one of the most violent clips. <laughs> this is what is going through Maximus's heart? Does he want to kill all these people? No! What is he trying to do? Huh? He's trying to prove a point. What else? I mean, think about what is that whole movie about? We're killing the emperor. He is trying to give up his life for the ones that he loved. His only focus is his wife and his son. Throughout that whole movie, all the violence, all the blood, all the guts, all he wants is his wife and his son back. And he ends up giving his own life for it. That's why Gladiator was an amazing movie. Not because of the violence. Because it tapped into something in men's hearts. Same as this movie. This is a hell of a movie, too. Coming in, Mike, coming in. Mike, that bogey's still behind you. I'm maneuvering for a shot. Stay with him, man. Stay with him. You've seen this movie, right? You have it. I can't get him off my tail.
so before I go on to the next one, I'm just gonna leave it dark. You can still see me, right? <clears throat> so again, you know, I'm not saying women are are you know should be subtracted from this equation of flying airplanes at Mach 10. But why? I mean, who's in most of these planes? They're men because they're freaking crazy. I remember that one of my past students. He's in uh, he's in the Air Force right now. He's gonna be dry, He's gonna be flying F-15s. I remember he got his driver's license. Back in high school, the first day he got his driver's license, he got taken away because he got pulled over by the cops doing 90 and a 25. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that, like, there's this crazy, wild something in the heart of man. And it's just being tamed right now. Tamed by all this other thing. But anyway, we got it. This is, this is the last one. Just because it's amazing. Adventure. 
Remember when we talk about the women, it says to partake in the adventure. The man is supposed to lead the adventure. I think there's some, I mean, and again, you know, you, you, can, go through, you can go through all types of movies. I don't know if you talk about the beginning, Titanic, you know? And again, even Braveheart. You know, why is Braveheart such a good movie? Because William Wallace, Mel Gibson is such an awesome actor and has great speeches to fire people up for war. No, like what taps in to the heart of every human, especially every man or every woman when they watch that movie, is what he does for his bride. What the, the lengths he is willing to go for his bride and for his fellow countrymen. And that men have the ability to lead, but they can lead people to hell. <laughs> they can lead people to heaven, they can lead people to hell. And they have to make that choice. There's a... <clears throat> say if you... Say if you don't want to supply... I have this little note. Say if you don't want to supply a little boy with weapons, he will make them from whatever materials he can find. And if you've seen this with little kids, it's funny as all get out, right? But kids have something in their very nature, and I want to show you something. This is this won't take very long, but I get a kick out of this, okay? I gotta go really fast though. It's all the way at the end. I think so. Back. No. Come on. Here. All <clears throat> oh, media unavailable. Damn. Okay, so this is I don't know why. But this is my buddy Reed Ruggles, who you're going to have next week, he's going to be, t I think it's next week. Yeah, two weeks? <clears throat> oh, yeah, because next week is spring break. It's the week after, not that week, after that. Okay, so we have Monsignor Rick. Anyway, he's going to come, he's going to teach you. But he, this is his two boys, okay? Max and Brady. And Max and Brady, whenever I come over, they immediately go and get boxing gloves and they want to fight me. Or we, either, either it's football or uh, boxing. So. We either play football in the living room and break stuff, or we beat the hell out of each other with boxing gloves. There's something in the heart of these little boys that j and they want to like, and it, and it gets them so excited. I wish I could show you this because it's so funny. Maybe Reed has it. He'll show it to you. Like Max, the littlest kid, I'm sitting, I'm on my knees, and I'm like, all right, Max, you know, and I, and I just, I put my face in, and he's just like, bam. And I like just spin around and hit the ground, and he's like, yeah! And he's like jumping, like uncontrollably shaking and screaming, because he just knocked me out. You know, it's so, you sit back and you're like, oh, that's so cute, but like, no, there's something that we should be learning from that. That these little boys, I mean, they're like, they, they, they also, you know, they'll come up, I remember, you know, these kids, I got a, a whole bunch of kids, families I'm friends with, and they'll come up and they'll have like this stick, and I'm like, what is that? It's like, it's a gun. You know, like, why? <laughs> why does it have to be a gun or it's a knife? Like, it's just there's something wild in the heart of, of men, especially in boys, and we see that at the very beginning. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's the complete opposite for women. Little girls, they do not invent games which blood is shed, right? That that's a prerequisite. You know, the game is, you know, where many people die. The game is much more feminine, which is beautiful. Like, I really want to get across to you that, like, the beauty of woman is her femininity. It is not that she becomes like man. It's that she is who she is. It's what we call the feminine genius. And we're going to get into that. But women, I think, are sacrificing that because of this women equality crap. Because women's equality really means what? Women are the same as men. And that makes women really, really ugly when they try to be like men.
Women have their own unique genius. And they have to embrace it and believe it. You know? Hockey, for example. You know, I know there's, there's girls that play hockey, and that's fine. But, you know, one of the rules in girls' hockey is you can't hit. You can't check. You know? You look at men's hockey. One of the rules, the prerequisites for hockey is fighting. What other sport as part of the game rules is fighting? Boxing is not a feminine sport. You know what? Wrestling. Here's an example, and you guys might, you, you might think I'm crazy, but I had a, <clears throat> one time I had a student, and he had to wrestle a girl. Uh, and, and in order to, for him to, to win the match, he had to wrestle this girl. Did I tell you this story? Anyway, and uh, so he said, he said to his coach, he said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not doing it. I'm not wrestling a girl. And he's like, you're going to go wrestle her. You're going to pin her in five seconds, and we're going to go home, and we're going to win this duel. And we're going to move up in the rankings. He said, I'm not wrestling. He's like, you're going to wrestle her. So he goes out, he has this girl, bell rings, he shoots immediately, takes her down and puts her into a headlock and just starts squeezing. Like this girl's face is red and he's just tanking. I mean, you can see it, he's, you know, he's a, he's a strong freaking kid. And he is just, every vein, every muscle is popping as he's just squeezing and, he, and everybody's like, Peter, Peter, and he's just holding. She's like kicking, flailing around, you know, people are booing. It was, it was intense. And with, it was like, you know, the period's coming to an end, it's like five, four, and he's like, boom, pins her, gets up and walks off the mat. She's like, <gasps> like can't walk, she's been deprived of oxygen. So then I had to talk to the kid, <laughs> and I said, what were you thinking? And he said, father, if she wants to wrestle with men, then she should be able to take that. And I sat back and I said, I can't get mad at this kid. Because it's true. If you want to be in that ring with somebody like that, then you better be ready to be punished. And if you don't want to be punished, don't get into the ring. And he sit back and like, Father, you're a, you're a heartless bastard. <laughs> That was wrong. Yeah, it wasn't right. But at the same time, in the sport of wrestling, did he do anything wrong? No. He didn't do anything wrong. He, he abided by the rules. And if it would have been another, another guy, everybody would have been cheering like crazy. But now because it's a girl, something's wrong. Because there's a double standard. Men... Men can't, and, and what's happening is as these women equality things of women and men are the exact same, as that happens, men are getting like emasculated from who they're supposed to be. Again, I just read, you know, the Army Rangers. The Army Rangers are some bad BA guys. And they just said that women are now allowed to be Army Rangers. And again, ladies, I am not, trust me, I will. I'm going to speak profoundly, hopefully, <laughs> I was pretty arrogant, profoundly, on, <laughs> on women and their beauty and their genius and all this stuff, but there's just some things that they're not supposed to do. And if you talk to people in the military, since women have come into the military, there is a double standard. So if a man shows up late, he gets his ass beat. If a woman shows up late, well, just don't do it again. 
Drill sergeants, they can't do what they normally do to the men because if they try to do it to the women, they get court-martialed. There's just some things that women aren't supposed to do, and that's okay. And there's some things that men aren't supposed to do, and that's okay. You know, like there's this, I, I remember reading this article about this, uh, this guy, you know, he wanted to become pregnant. You know, nobody made us think about that. I'd have been like, you know, I mean, I, by hell, I could, by, by, but I think being pregnant would be pretty cool. Without being too weird. <laughs> but I mean, you have a, a living being inside of you. That is something that this guy, or any guy in this room for that matter, is never going to experience. <clears throat> it's not fair. That's crap. You should be able to be pregnant. I demand men's equality. Pregnancy for all men. <laughs> Who's with me? <laughs> I'm serious. It's only when it, and again, I, to be very clear, ladies, there is, I mean, there has been some terrible and horrific things throughout time that has been done. Yes, and we need to remedy those. But it doesn't mean that every, like men and women are equal on every single footing. They're not. They're very different. In fact, you know, like, especially with the Army Rangers, I think that is going to weaken the Army Rangers. The Navy SEALs, for crying out loud, look what those guys go through. It's because deep down, written in the heart of men, is I want an adventure. I want something exciting. But again, it has to be balanced within the faith if it's going to be true and authentic masculinity. Okay? <clears throat> All right. Um, yeah, 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 man. Okay. So the adventure, right? The adventure's for a second. I think I said the adventure's first. I'm getting all over the place. I'm sorry. Sorry, the battle to fight. That was my first point, right? There's this fight. We're showing all these scenes of fighting, et cetera, et cetera. The second one is a beauty to rescue. And again, I want you, I want to, want you to write down what Eldridge says. There is nothing more inspiring to a man than a beautiful woman. <clears throat> You know, woman is the pinnacle of creation. She's everything. She's the fullness of everything that God wanted to make. She's the most beautiful thing on the face of the earth. Beautiful women have caused wars, entire countries to fight against each other, right? Think about Helen of Troy. They say her, uh, her name was often titled the face that launched a thousand ships. The whole war was fought over Helen. Cleopatra and Anthony. When a man runs down the street, this, I, I got this from somebody else, but this is really funny. When a man runs down the street without a shirt on, nobody cares. When a woman, when a woman runs down the street without her shirt on, fatal car crashes happen. <clears throat> Why is that, you know? There's something so intriguing. It's not just that a man needs a battle to fight, he needs someone to fight for. Please write that down. Not that just a man needs a battle to fight, he needs someone to fight for. Let's see if I can get back to my actual things here. Okay, and so this is what's truly in a woman's heart. Again, these are, I'm not going to show all these. I think you guys have seen these movies. But I mean, think. This is the Lord of the Rings. Think about the, if you haven't seen this, watch it. The beauty of the romance between these two. The same blood flows in my veins. 
Your time will come. You will face the same evil, and you will defeat it. That's one of my favorite parts. Do you notice what she does? What does she do? What, what, is, what is his deal? What does he turn around? Because he's saying, right, he's looking at the sword of the great king. And then she says, your time will come when you will be king. And he turns around and he says, the same blood flows in my veins and the same weakness. And what does she say? Does she say, you pathetic loser? Be a man. Step it up. What does she say? She's encouraging him. In her femininity, she's encouraging him. Now you get to see it. Why do you fear the past? You are a sealed door's heir, not a sealed door himself. You are not bound to his fate. The same blood flows in my veins. Your time will come. You will face the same evil, and you will defeat it. As the, what's amazing about this is the femininity that flows from her. She's encouraging the hell out of him. Not saying, like, I'm just going to do your job. She says, no, you can do this. Don't be ruled by the past. You're the man. You're the one that can do this. You, you have to live up to your vocation, your call. That's what a woman's job is. And she just radiates femininity as she's doing that. Like, she becomes so much more beautiful. Because she's acting like a woman is supposed to act. Here's another one from Braveheart, just really, whoops. Whoops. My lady. Sarah, I come to beg you to confess all and swear allegiance to the king that he might show your mercy. Son of a bitch. <laughs> now, before we watch this, this is this is good. Before we walk out, it would be terrible. Face right into the table. Before we watch this, I want you to pay attention to something. Okay? Notice that the man is standing his ground. He is not succumbing to the woman because he knows who he is and he knows what he's about. Oh my gosh, I'm going to shoot somebody. Sarah, I come to beg you to confess all and swear allegiance to the king that he might show your mercy. Will you show mercy to my country? Mercy is to die quickly. Perhaps even live in a tower. In time, who knows what can happen? I swear to him that all that I am is dead already. <laughs> we'll die, it will be awful. Every man dies. 
It will do you pain. No, it will not my wits. I must have more. For if I'm senseless or if I wail, then Wong Shanks will have broken me. I can't bear the thought of your torture. Take it. <clears throat> trying to, to she's trying to sway him in a certain way and he won't do it because he knows who he's about and even when he, he even tries to show her to calm her nerves he really doesn't do it so I think I have one last little movie clip for you because I want to show you the opposite of this femi femininity what it looks like okay and when you have a man who's not doing what he's doing I think this is the next one no here we go Don't forget your Rogaine. Rogaine. Check. <laughs> and don't forget to use it. I can totally tell when you forget your hair just looks thinner. Using of the Rogaine. Check. And make sure to call on me right when you get to the hotel, not like that conference in Phoenix. I to wait two hours for you to call me. Yeah, I was the keynote speaker. I was late to the podium. Still? Yeah, you're totally right. I'm sorry. What is the matter? I don't know. I just hope you're not going to go to some strip club when you're up there. Melissa, we're going to Napa Valley. <laughs> I don't even think they have strip clubs in wine country. Well, I'm sure if there is one, Phil will sniff it out. Anyway, she cusses really bad there, so I won't cut it off. <laughs> but anyway, do you see? I mean, do you see the difference? <clears throat> I mean, everybody that's watching that, not only the guys, but even the women, the women are all like, that's a bit much and the guys are like dude I can't believe you're putting up with that because we know we know deep down that that's not the way it's supposed to be it's like it's it's written into our bones and when these and sometimes in media you know when they when they play stuff back to us we're like oh yeah it kind of like wakes us up and we for we remember who we are right so again the beauty to fight for this is what guys yearn for they want to fight for something okay third an adventure to live they're an adventure to have. <clears throat> All men want to be in an adventure. Without it, they become lazy. Complacent. <clears throat> Very quickly to look at the three desires of the feminine heart. First is to be wanted. That is to be a priority in someone's life. <clears throat> Women want to be wanted. They want to be a priority in somebody's life. I 
think. I'm still trying. You don't have to answer this, ladies, right now, but I've, I'm still trying to learn this. I've gotten a lot of feedback uh, from women. I'm still interested. And the question is, why good women date idiots? That is a question I want answered so badly. I cannot figure it out. And even like friends of the person can't figure it out. They're like, what are you doing? Like this guy is a loser and you're still with him. I think this one, to be a priority, I think it has something to do with it. Because the idiot doesn't care about anything, right? He doesn't care about anything. School, people, work, nothing. But when he shows interest in the woman, the woman's like, wow, he doesn't care about anything, but he cares about me. <laughs> that must make me extra special. I think, I don't know, that's, that's the most, that's like one of the most common answers I've had. The other thing is, and this is really cool because it plays into the second part, you know, when we say that women want an adventure to share, they like the idiot because he's exciting. Yeah, I mean, in some weird way, he's exciting. And they want to be part of that, even though they know they're probably going to get hurt. But anyway, ladies, if any of you would like to, please email me or shoot me a text. Texting might, might be a long text. Um, call me, write me a letter, anything to give me more insight into this. I am dying to know. Dying to know. Because it just, I, I watch really good women just get destroyed by these idiots. You know, and I, I just, I don't know. So anyway, just, just throwing that out there. Uh, but I think it has something to do with being the priority, okay? The reason she wants this, this to be the priority, is because that's what God wants. Remember, she's the pinnacle of creation. She is to manifest. Remember, both men and women manifest something to us about God. So that's really important, right? God wants to fight a battle. God wants to live an adventure with you. God is the beauty that you are to rescue from the world, if you will. We are created as image and likeness, so everything that is written into our desires stems from the reality directly linked to God. If you get this right, you get relationships right. Never star this and never forget it. The hierarchy of relationship. Put like ten stars around it. And smiley faces. <clears throat> if you can remember this for the rest of your life, you will have a joy-filled, fulfilled life. The hierarchy relationship. First, God. <clears throat> God has priority in all things. Everything. Second, your spouse. Third, your children. Fourth, others. Fifth, yourself. <clears throat> if you can remember this, if you can keep this hierarchy and this order through your entire life, and this is really, really hard. It's really hard because there's a lot of things that come at you. 
but God rules all things. Remember we talked about object, or we said the object, the intention, the circumstance for Catholic morality. Said the object's wrong, doesn't matter what the intention is, doesn't matter what the circumstances is. Same with this. If you get God out of the picture, the rest of it's sooner or later going to fall apart. So God is first. He has priority. Then your spouse. This is really important too because many couples often screw this up. Who do they put second? Children. Children. And that will ruin your marriage. I can guarantee it. As, as, a, as high of a good as it is, it will ruin your marriage. Your spouse has to be second. And not that you fight with your spouse, you know, like all the time. That's how she's second or he's second. But that you love your spouse second. God first, spouse second, children third, others fourth. And then finally, that's when you let your ego have a little bit. And really, in the end, your ego should get nothing. And the more selfless you are, the more beautiful you are. Okay? Number two, for women to share in an adventure. <clears throat> Write this down. Most men make the mistake <clears throat> Most men make the mistake that the woman is the adventure. <clears throat> Not that she is to share in the adventure. Most men make the mistake that the woman is the adventure, not that she is to share in the adventure. God bless you. Remember this guy I was talking to him? His, his wife, there was a nightmare. And I said, what's going on? He's like, I was like, you know, what, what, what happened, man? He's like, I remember, you know, a couple years ago, you guys were doing great. And he's like, He's like, well, Father, you know, that was just like, you know, that was, the, she was the prize. And once I begged her, it was, you know, kind of over. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, that'll kill your marriage. So that she was the adventure. Once he had conquered her, he moved on to the next one. And the next one. And the next one. Okay? Third, every woman wants, or has a beauty to unveil. Again, the reason she has a beauty to unveil is because God has a beauty to unveil. Underneath this, put this. Every woman's heart screams. Do you see me? Every woman's heart screams, do you see me? And are you captivated by what you see? Am I beautiful? But the world kills the feminine heart when it tells her to be tough and efficient and independent. It's not, what, it's not what's written in her heart. Biblically. Again, you can sit back and say, Father, you're full of crap. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's fine. I guess I, I'm just telling you what, what Scripture says, what Christ is talking about, and what is most specifically, you know, unveiled to us in the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know? The 
problem is, is in this beauty unveil, women unveil too much too fast. And they unveil the wrong stuff. You know, a woman's beauty in, is in who she is as a person. Her looks are, are awesome. I mean, like we said at the beginning, a woman is captivating. She is the, the highest beauty of God's creation. But at the same time, beauty fades. Right? And so who is she as a person? That's what we have to figure out. That's what, we have, that's, that's what mankind needs to learn. Now, I'm just going to read this from, from Eldridge. He says, Eve was convinced that God was withholding something from her. When Eve was deceived, the artistry of being a woman took a fateful dive into the barren places of control and loneliness. Remember when we watched the clip, control and loneliness. That woman is incredibly alone and incredibly in control. Now every daughter of Eve wants to control her surrounding, her relationships, her God. No longer is she vulnerable. Now she will be grasping. No longer does she want to simply share in the adventure. Now she wants to control it. And as for her beauty, she either hides it in fear and anger or uses it to secure her place in the world. Fallen Eve, this is so good, Fallen Eve either becomes rigid or clingy. Put simply, Eve is no longer simply inviting. She is either hiding in busyness or demanding that Adam come through for her. This idea that the, the vulnerability of a woman is lost, she begins to control, just like at the beginning. So we're looking back, remember at the beginning of the scriptures. Now, this specific type of woman, this fallen woman, has a name, okay? And you guys can think I'm crazy and you can say, oh, you know, we're getting all exorcists here. But this is real. There's spirits. The spirits of the spiritual worlds have names. That's why in exorcisms, they always ask the demon, what is your name? Even Jesus, right? Remember the, 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 the demoniac in, in Mark 5? He says, what is your name? And the demon says, we are legion. There are many of us. So what is your name? Spirits have names. Exorcists say if the spirit has a name that is biblical, they are very, very, very powerful. If they don't have biblical names, they're demonic, they're demons, but they're not quite as strong. So obviously Satan, remember he is not like God. He is a spirit. He is the angelic creature. He is created. There is only one of them. Legion is another one. These are the, demon, the demonic that still possess people. And one of them is Jezebel. Okay? The spirit of Jezebel. I want you to write this down. Because this spirit is rampant right now in the world. <clears throat> And I had, I had a much better clip, but all I have is a picture. I say, what, is it, what, what does the spirit of Jezebel look like? Right there. <clears throat> you know who that is? Yeah, good. <laughs> so I'll make sure I got the right one. Kim Kardashian. An another one, uh, the one I had before is uh, Miley Cyrus. Right? And I'm not saying these people are possessed. What I'm saying is, is they are heavily influenced by this spirit. What is the spirit of Jezebel? Remember, remember 1 Kings when we were reading. What is Jezebel like in the Old Testament? By the way, just really quick, this was hilarious. So I, I, I had Miley Cyrus in here and the video didn't work, so I was, I was really quick just frantically trying to put something in before class. I typed in Kim Kardashian, clicked on the first one. It was Jezebel.com. I'm not kidding you. 
Jezebel.com. I'm looking for, I'm like, I'm like, Lord, I gotta find something for the spirit of Jezebel. I'm like, oh yeah, like Kim Kardashian, she's she's a hooker. That'd be good. And I like type it in. And, and I hit the first one that comes up, and boom! Jezebel.com. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Why? So what is Jezebel like? What do you remember from the reading? Controlling. Do we have to read it again? <laughs> She Come was, on, huh? She was the leader in the, the marriage. Right, she was yeah. definitely the, the leader in the marriage. Ahab is a wimp. She's a liar. She sent that fake letter out. She's a liar. <clears throat> She's cunning. She's very cunning. And specifically, I mean, I don't know if you got it out of that reading, but if you read more about Jezebel, what does she use in her cunningness or in her as a liar? What does she use all the time? Yeah, her beauty. She's extremely pretty. See, it's from the, what the scriptures say. Jezebel is extremely pretty. And she uses sex. Now, they don't say this in there, but that's what's going on. Let's be honest. You know, Ahab's moping about. And she's like, and, and notice, what does she say to him? You remember what she says to him? Get out of your Bibles. 1 Kings 18. <laughs> 1 Kings 18. Force me to do it. It's just too important. <clears throat> so blah blah blah. Okay, Naboth the Jezreelite. So First Kings twenty-one. Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Some time later, Ahab said to Naboth, "Give me your vineyard and be my vegetable garden." It's kind of funny, like the whole thing. <laughs> Why the hell does this king want a vegetable garden? He should be beat up just for that. <clears throat> um. Since it's close by, next to my house, I'll give you a better vineyard in exchange. Or if you prefer, I'll give you its value in money. Nabal said to Ahab, the Lord forbid, I should give you my ancestral heritage. Ahab went home disturbed, angry at the answer Nabal the Jezreelite had given him. I will not give you my ancestral heritage. Lying, on his own, lying down on his own bed, he turned away and would not eat. His wife Jezebel came to him and said to him, Why are you sullen and you will not eat? He answered, Because I spoke to Nabal the Jezreelite and, he said to, and said to him, Sell me your vineyard. Or if you prefer, I will give you a vineyard in exchange. But he said... I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel's wife said to him, What a king of Israel you are, you frickin' loser. Get up, eat, and be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So what is she, what is she doing? She's taking the role of the man. Not only that, what else is she doing? Remember when we watched that clip from Lord of the Rings? What was I harping on about the woman? What was the woman doing in the clip? Encouraging. What is she doing? Yeah, I mean, she's cutting him down. You're a loser. Some king you are. I mean, you can just hear it. You know, like when we were watching that clip from The Hangover. 
I mean, you just you can just hear the, the it's 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 just embedded in her. And so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and having sealed them with his seal, sent them to the elders and the nobles who lived in the same city with Naboth. Now again, did she do this with Ahab's permission? No. So the cunning, the lying, all this stuff, I'm just going to take control of the situation. I'm going to do it for you because you're so worthless, and I'll get it done. Right? So you see this, and again, I don't know about you guys, but if you look in marriages... I deal with a lot of married couples. Not so much anymore because I'm a vocation director, but back when I was about six years of being in the, in the parish, I dealt with a lot of marriages. And I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, the problem was is the man was a weenie and the woman was out of control. It's just, it, it, and I think what happens is, is the man gets so sick of the nagging that goes on that he just gives up. He, he just, he's, uh, it's easier just to give in and let her do whatever she's complaining about than to keep standing my ground and watching her cry and constantly hearing this, right, over and over and over. That's exactly how it sounds. And so what he does, he just says, okay, you know what, just do it. Because he wants to be done. Because a man just wants to relax. <laughs> And he's got all these noises coming at him, so he just do it. And then all of a sudden the woman's like, huh, I bet that could work again. And then she does it. And maybe then the man says, all right, I'm standing my ground, you're not, you're not doing this. She says, fine, no sex. He's like, okay, you can do it. You can do it, do whatever you want. <laughs> because he has no control of his passions. A man should be able to say when his wife says, no sex, he says, fine. No sex for you either. <laughs> that should be what the man should be able to do. But because he's so, because we, we're taught in our culture just to give in to the passions all the time, he will sacrifice the good for good feeling. And that's how the women, go, she gets out of control. A woman really needs to kind of be reined in. And a good man does this lovingly. And then the woman learns to trust. That's what marriage is all about. And then she learns to trust his leadership. You know, what happened to good old Kimmy on her wedding day, right? How long did she stay married? What was it, like 72 days, 60 days, something like that? I wonder why. I mean, everybody's like, can you believe it? Kim Kardashian's divorced. I'm like, no way. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can see it was just a train wreck from the beginning. Because the, the, the whole mentality of both the man and the woman, is got, it, it's just shot. She has never known, and this might not even be old Kim's fault. Okay? And you can sit back and say, Father, don't judge her. You don't know her heart. I don't. I don't know her heart. I just know her actions. I just know, and I'm just using her as an example. So please, don't think that I'm hating on Kim. Okay? I did it again. Don't think I'm coming down on Kim. Okay? Just using her as an example. Now, how has Kim been raised? Said everything, her whole life. And I'd be willing to bet Jezebel, who was a princess of the Gentile people, she, her daddy was a king. Think she was given everything she wanted? Probably. You know what the best part is? I will give somebody 10 free points if you can tell me what happens to Jezebel. But you gotta, you gotta give me the full, the full story. 10 free points, give me an A on the quiz today if you got 10 wrong. No reading. Cattle, no reading. 
<laughs> Which is the fate of all humans. It's eaten by dogs. Really? No. Did you, you didn't just make that up. <laughs> I mean, did you read that in the scriptures? Did you read that online? Not online. Elijah said that, didn't he? That's what Elijah says about her, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. sure. So what I'll give you five. Yes. I'll give you five. That, that's pretty good. I mean, he came up with that. That's pretty good. What happens is, is she actually, <clears throat> she gets pushed out of a tower and splatters on the ground. And then the dogs lick her blood and eat her flesh until nothing remains. Not even her bones. It's a, it's a horrific end, but kind of cool. Like, you got to love the Bible stuff. That's what I'm saying. They should really just start making, you know, they've tried and they've screwed it up, you know, with Noah. I haven't seen, have you, anybody seen of gods and kings or men, gods and men? The one about Moses. I, I mean, I just, they, they suck at it. If they did it right, if they really did it right, they, these would be such good shows. And they would convey great morals. But Hollywood sucks because they don't understand the gospel. Right? I mean, I don't know. Did you see her, uh, her Super Bowl ad? Yeah. It was so stupid. Yeah, but it was all, what, what was it? It was all about her. Yeah, sex and her. How she could use her body to get people to do stuff. Or to like her. This is the spirit of Jezebel. She doesn't, when the spirit of Jezebel is, is within a woman or oppressing a woman, she thinks that her power is her body. And it's not. Her power is not her body. Her power is her femininity. Who she is as a woman. And I think so many women are so starved for affection in this day and age that they start using their bodies because that's all they know how to get people to look at them. You know, I had this one girl, it was like my second year, first year, second year, as a chaplain at the high school. And she came in, she wasn't even, she wasn't at St. Mary's, she was at a, at a public school. And uh, I told her to meet in my office. She came up to my office, she walked in, and I was just like, good lord. I'm like, uh, have a seat. <laughs> She's like, I just can't figure out why nobody ever looks at me in the face, and people just use me. And I'm like, look at you for crying out loud. What do you expect? You know, I'm trying to like look at the ceiling, I'm, like looking over the wall, you know, and she's like, even you, you won't even look at me. Like, it's just, you know, and so women are like, they, they, they try to express themselves by wearing these provocative clothes to get guys to look at them. They're starved for affection. They've never experienced love properly. You know? They have the four, I, I told you the four F's of the feminine art. Write this down. If I didn't tell you, this is really important. Four Fs of the feminine heart. This isn't even mine. This is a buddy of mine. <clears throat> and then we're going to conclude with a quick, quick little video. We, we need to go. We need to get. We need to dive head deep into Jezebel because she's a wicked, wicked woman. The four Fs of the feminine heart are this. This is what the feminine heart craves. And if she doesn't get the first F, she goes to the second F. She doesn't get the second F. She goes to the third F. She doesn't go to the third F. She goes to the fourth F. First F. Faith. So she looks. For love within her faith. Okay? So to understand how God loves her. Most women that are being born right now don't get this because their parents are so ignorant of the faith, they can't convey it to her to understand that she is loved by God. So, 
because that's kind of out the door. We go to the second half of the feminine heart, which is father. She goes to her dad to experience love. Daddy, you tell me I'm beautiful. You tell me I'm most important. You tell me that I'm the most cherished girl in your entire life, next to mommy, <laughs> right? But that I'm, I'm important, that I'm wanted, that I'm a priority. That's what every little girl is just begging for. She doesn't get that from the father, which is a pretty good chance because men don't know how to love because they've been brought up in a porn-saturated culture full of all this crap in the media telling them to be idiots. Then she has to go to the third F, which is friends. So she goes to her friends. You tell me I'm good. You tell me I'm amazing. This is where all the drama comes. This is where all the feminine drama in the world comes from this because they're trying to become the priority in each other's lives and somehow, and again, another question that I would really love answered is how women, I never understood this, how women can be like the best friends and destroy each other. I do not understand this. So if anybody can, can, can help me understand that, feel free to write me a letter, uh, shoot me an email, hit me with a text, whatever. I really want to know that. I've just seen, I, it was so amazing to me when I first encountered it, because I was kind of oblivious to it in high school and college, but when I started as a priest, I was like, look at it, I'm like, what the hell? Like, they just destroy each other, backstab the hell out of each other, gossip, try to tear each other down, make each other look terrible, and then the next day it's like, hi. You know, they just walk, hi. You've seen Mean Girls, right? Huh? You've seen Mean Girls? No. You've seen mean girls? <laughs> no, man. <laughs> that is not top of my list. Like, if I'm going that to the movie that's store, that's I'm like, hey, about. I'm going to rent Mean Girls as a priest. Yeah. <laughs> that's a picture we're talking about, like, hands down. That movie's your Really? Yeah. yeah. Is it answered or is it just show it? No, it's answered. Definitely. So what's the answer? Right! See, I'm, 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 I'm... Like, what is the answer? And they can talk to each other. The other thing is they're like, they can, they're so cordial to one another. You know, and it's like in the hallway, I watched this, you know, like, I, I don't know if they didn't know if I was listening or, you know, it's like, they'd walk by and it's like, hi, it's like, hi, bitch, you know, like, I, and I'm like, what the, I'm like, I thought you guys were friends, like, and for a, and for a man, like, I, personally as a man, I don't understand this, because like, man, if we get, we get mad, we just fight, and then, okay, it's over, you know, I'm pissed, you're pissed, okay, let's fight, let's be done, and we move on, but girls, it's rude over it, anyway, sorry. So what's the answer? I don't know. My experience is just that you want them to like you, but you don't want them to know that you don't like them. Wow. <laughs> I think it's more of an attention thing, too. Like, once you like them, but once they get more attention than you, then you're like, okay, not all right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I love you, but not that much. No, that's, that's, that's what that whole movie but, is. It's them just competing for attention. But you guys, listen, this is really good. Because remember, what were we saying? They want to be a priority. Yeah, so that's what they're friends too. They always want to be like the number it's, one friend or the number one competition. Yeah. yeah, like with Regina and Gretchen. <laughs> <laughs> we are not talking about the movie right now. <laughs> There's so many why can't you tell me about Jezebel in First Kings, but you can tell me about me. You probably quote the whole movie for me. Anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested. That, that's a good point. I like that. Because that... that that goes into what we're talking about. Like, I don't want to be a priority only in the man's life. I want to be a priority in my friend group too. But so does everybody else. And so they can't all be priorities and when one gets a higher priority than my priority and then, and then, <laughs> and then you add in a guy, oh man, 
then it's hell. That's just been my experience. <laughs> but you're a woman, so that's kind of, I think that's fair. You know, I mean, we all are in this together. I mean, all women are in this together. You know? Anyway. Uh, we're alongside like friends. So yeah, that's the drama, all this crazy stuff. And then if friends don't bring it, they go to the fourth F. Fourth F is Fred. Fred? Yeah. Yeah. So Fred is that guy. You know, the guy I'm like, oh, baby, you're so beautiful. You're, you're everything that I ever dreamed of, and I love you so much. And it's just, it's just every greaseball freaking. So all the girls are 16 and pregnant. <laughs> Those guys. Yeah, the guys that are on there, right? No, I, I mean, and maybe, maybe half a university married for all we know. <laughs> Who knows? I'm serious. Freds are all over the place. Freds are, they're on the prowl, man. They want to, they, they just want a conquest. And women give in to that because they want, they want to be wanted. And sometimes if they can't get the affection on the deepest level of their, like, spirit, which is where they really want it, they'll get it on the, the affectionate level of the body because at least they can feel it. You know cutting? Why do people cut? Because they can feel something. They're so devoid of love, of feeling. They cut themselves just to feel pain. Why do women sleep with these guys that are idiots? They just want some kind of feeling of love. Anything. That's how starved affectionately we are in our culture. Mother Teresa said the greatest poverty she ever experienced in all of her travels in all of the world was in North America, was in the United States of America because it was a poverty of love. It wasn't a poverty of material possessions. It wasn't a poverty of money. It was a poverty of love. Nobody loved anybody. Everybody just used. You know how they say, what's the opposite of love? Everybody's like, hey, wrong. The opposite of love is what? Lust or use. You know, I asked, I asked women, would you rather be used or hated? Seriously. In a relationship, would you rather be used or hated? Hands down, everyone's like, I'd rather be hated. Because we know use is wrong. And use, and the more a woman is used, the more star for her affection she gets. And the more she gives of herself. That's why these, the, the F's of the feminine heart are so important. And here's the good news, though, ladies. Okay? And again, we're kind of bouncing back from women to men. But the good news, ladies, is, is like, if that has happened to you, there's sti it's still, it's okay. Like, there's still healing. There's still a process that can be had where you go back and reclaim that original virginity that you had. That you, you reclaim your beloved daughterness in the Father. That can happen. God can do that because he's God. Right? Remember how he made eyeballs? <laughs> he can remake your sexuality. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be a long process of suffering. Doesn't mean there's even going to be some falls in the midst of that. There might be. And we're weak and we all struggle. But the point is, is that to make the change, to realize what's happening, to acknowledge it, and then to move from that to saying, Jesus, I'm sick of trying. I need you. And it might take a long time because there's so much brokenness within you. But I promise you, if you start down that path, he will heal you. He will reconcile you, and He will provide a new meaning to your life and give you a new dignity. I want to show you one last thing. This is what we'll conclude with, if I can find it. 
come on. Yeah. It's it's about ten minutes, so just just watch. It's really fascinating. Hopefully it plays the whole way last time. Romantic relationships are getting increasingly more difficult to navigate these days? Why fewer couples are getting married, and later than ever before? Time for a crash course on the economics of sex. Let's think about sex as an exchange, where each person gives the other person something of themselves. It might appear at face value that they are giving the same thing intimate access to each other's bodies, but there's more going on here than meets the eye. Men and women both enjoy sex. We all know that. But what's interesting is how the data tells us that men and women experience sex differently. On average, men have a higher sex drive than women. Blame it on testosterone, call it whatever you want. But on average, men initiate sex more than women. They're more sexually permissive than women, and they connect sex to romance less often than women. Nobody's saying this is the way it ought to be. It's just the way it is. Women, on the other hand, are likely to have sex for reasons beyond just simple pleasure. Her motivations for sex often include expressing and receiving love, strengthening commitment, affirming desirability, and relationship security. So in an exchange relationship where men want sex more often than women do, who decides when it will happen? She does, of course. Sex is her resource. Sex and consensual relationships will happen when women want it to. So how do women decide to begin a sexual relationship? Pricing. Women have something of value that men want. Badly. Something men are actually willing to sacrifice for. So how much does sex cost for men? It might cost them nothing but a few drinks and compliments. Or a month of dates and respectful attention. Or all the way up to a lifetime promise to share all of his affections, wealth, and earnings with her exclusively. The price varies widely. But if women are the gatekeepers, why don't very many women charge more, so to speak? Because pricing is not entirely up to women. The market value of sex is part of a social system of exchange, an economy, if you will wherein men and women learn from each other and from others what they ought to expect from each other sexually. So sex is not entirely a private matter between two consenting adults. Think of it as basic. Supply and demand. When supplies are high, prices drop. Since people won't pay more for something that's easy to find. But if it's hard to find, people will pay a premium. And the same rings true with sex. Men know that sex is cheap these days, if they know where to look. So how did we get here? How did the market value of sex decline so drastically? Economists often speak of technological shocks that dramatically alter markets. Take pesticides, for example. Pesticides revolutionized agriculture, enabling its mass production on a level unparalleled in the history of human civilization. Lawns became greener, produce became better, and widely available with a marvelous variety. We eat like kings now. 
and the market has changed forever. Here's another example. Artificial hormonal contraception, or the pill, allowed men and women to have sex while avoiding pregnancy. This was a technological shock that forever altered the mating market by profoundly lowering the cost of sex. It didn't change overnight, but the effects have been, one might say, revolutionary. Before contraception, sex before marriage took place during the search for a mate, someone to marry. Sex didn't necessarily mean marriage, but serious commitment was commonly a requirement for sex. Sex was oriented towards marriage. Don't believe people who say your great-grandparents were secretly as casual about sex as your friends are. They weren't, because to mess around with sex eventually meant, well, becoming parents. Remember the example of pesticides? It turns out that they had unforeseen effects that are wreaking havoc on the environment and weakening the natural ecological systems that we depend on. Scientists believe that because of pesticides, the bee population is dropping at an alarming rate. One third of all the food we eat depends on those bees for pollination. And that's just one example. It is now feared that the overuse of pesticides is throwing ecology as we know it into disarray. While the original purpose of the pill was to prevent pregnancy, the data reveals an unanticipated side effect. The pill threw the mating market into disarray. Having sex and thinking about marriage have now become two quite different things. We now have a split mating market. One corner where people are largely interested in sex. And one corner where people are largely pursuing marriage. And there are more men looking for sex than women. And more women looking to marry than men. The language of online dating reinforces the reality of this split mating market. Men are more apt to write that they are looking for fun, while women tend to signal very different things, saying things like, Only serious inquiries, please. Or, Not into games. So this split mating market poses a particular problem for women. They certainly call the shots when it comes to short-term sexual relationships because men outnumber them. This enables women to be more selective in the short term. But the reverse is true when they decide they want to settle down. We often hear about men's lack of commitment. But the blunt reality is an economic one. Women vastly outnumber men in the marriage market, which means men can be picky and can insist on extensive sexual experience before committing. Men are in a position to maximize their rewards while investing fewer resources. Why do men do this? Because they can. Here's the thing. In the past, it really wasn't the patriarchy that policed women's relational interests. It was women. But this agreement, this unspoken pact to set a high market value of sex, has all but vanished. But in a brave new world where having sex no longer means babies and marriage has become optional, the solidarity women once felt towards each other in the mating market has dissolved. Women no longer have each other's backs. On the contrary, they're now each other's competition. And when women compete for men, they tend to do so by appealing to what men want. Here's where women are wrong about men. Men are not actually afraid of commitment at all. While women are the gatekeepers when it comes to sex, the deal is that men are in the driver's seat in the marriage market. They can navigate it exactly how they want to. And unlike women's fertility, men's virility doesn't expire by 40, or 45, or 50, or even 60. So what's the rush? Talk about having the upper hand. So it should come as no surprise that the average age of first marriage in the United States continues to rise, and that the share of Americans between the ages of 25 and 34 years old who are married is continuing to drop. While there are certainly factors that contribute to each of those trends, the gender imbalance in a split mating market is a big one. 
Talk about a profound irony. By nearly every measure, young men are failing to adapt to contemporary life. When attractive women will still go to bed with you, life for young men, even those who are floundering, just ain't so bad. In reality, men tend to behave as well or as poorly as the women in their lives permit. Economists say that collusion, women working together, would be the most rational way to elevate the market value of sex. But there is little evidence of this happening among women today. At least, not yet. If women were squarely in charge of how their relationships transpired and demanded a higher market price for the exchange of sex, so to speak, we'd be seeing, on average, more impressive wooing efforts. Greater male investment. Longer relationships. Fewer premarital partners. Shorter cohabitations. And more marrying going on. For a woman to know what she wants in a relationship and to signal it clearly, especially if it's different than what most men want, this is her power in the economy. But none of these things seem to be occurring. Not now, at least. Today, the economics of contemporary sexual relationships clearly favor men and what they want, even while what they are offering in the exchange has diminished. And it's all thanks to supply, demand, and the long reach of a remarkable little pill. Brought to you by the Austin Institute for the Study of Family and Culture. Just uh, really quick, um, there was uh, in in ancient Greece there was a. I think it was Aristophanes, he was a, a drama writer, and he wrote this play called the Lysistrata. And the Lysistrata was all about how the women were sick of their men always fighting. And so all the women in the city joined together and said, we are not going to have sex with our men until they stop fighting. Because they were fighting in the neighboring town. And it's a huge comedy, so you can imagine it was pretty funny. But in the end, in the play, it worked. The men stopped fighting. So the point being is that women, they have, you know, not only men and women have lost their understanding of what masculinity and femininity mean. But women have, I think, I would make the argument, a lot more, just in the, in the short term, they have a lot more power than they think they do. And they're using it wrongly. They think they're gaining more power when they're actually becoming more slaves. If you look at the equality of men and women, right? When you have, so before it was this kind of imbalance, right? And then, you know, when we have women's rights, women's suffrage, it kind of balances out. Now, the idea is, is that women are getting more rights, but they're not. In the more rights, their dignity is dropping and men are gaining more power over women. As this is saying, I think it's a, it's a, it's a neat little uh, clip, but it, it captures a reality that's really happening. And so women, what's the answer? Start living chastity. Start making men, you know, not in, in you know, like, I remember I was, I was in the checkout line, and I think it was like Cosmopolitan or said, I think maybe I talked about this, is it how many, how many dates you should go on before you have sex? You know, and it, like the average was like two, I think. You know, like, may, maybe that would be something to stop. <laughs> or, and I'm not even saying, like, maybe, maybe all you guys are doing great and living chastity, that's awesome. But what about your friends? I mean, I'm like, I'm not naive. What about your friends? What about talking to them and, and, and showing them this stuff and talking about what we're talking about and encouraging people to start living this? Because if we don't, we're on this kind of like roller coaster that's out of control going downhill and somebody's got to stop it. And again, I don't want to make it sound like it's all women because men need to step up and start being freaking men. 
You know, I remember there was a, a couple that came in. They said the first, you know, they came, they they were dating and they they kissed or whatever. And, and the man said, "I just want you to know, this is it. This is it until we're married." Said that to the woman. I don't know. I mean, like, if you think about that in the modern day age, can you imagine somebody saying that? I mean, but but you can, and it's your choice. And you can actually do that. I know that's crazy to think about. Like, you could actually do that. But it's your. It, but again, it, it falls along these choices. Do you believe in the objective nature of masculinity, the objective nature of femininity? That there are there's there's equality in who we are as humans, but there's differences in who we are as as as, as men and women. And the more we embrace femininity, the more womanly you will become, and the more men will respect you. I remember, I had a guy. He said to me one time. He said. You know, he's like, I just, he's like, I use all these women. And I'm like, why? And he's like, he's like, how am I supposed to have respect for her when she doesn't respect herself? It's a good point. <laughs> but if a woman respects herself, she's almost untouchable. And that's the one that the guys really want. She's more desirable. She's more womanly. She's more feminine. Anyway, next, uh, so next week is spring break. The following week is Monsignor Richter. Uh, he's going to do what's called the Sermon of Spirits. He's going to talk about how to pray. <laughs> okay, we're moving into this stuff about what man is, what woman is on an anthropo anthropological level, but also who we are as humans and how we respond to the spiritual realm. Then the next week, I'm going again. I have Mr. Reed, Re Mr. Reed Ruggles coming in. He's going to speak to you specifically about family life. I thought it'd be fair, you know, you're not just hearing this from a priest. You could sit back and be like, you're biased father, you're a Catholic priest, you don't know a damn thing about marriage. I'll bring in a married guy. Monsignor Tom Richter is one of the finest men I know to speak on the discernment of spirits. It's a real treat, you guys. There's a, you know, I mean, people pay a lot of money to have him come and speak at certain places. And he, he offered to come and teach you. Reed Ruggles is one of the best men I know. He is one of the best men I know. He is one of the best fathers. He is one of the best husbands. He is a man of virtue. He is a man of integrity. And he inspires other men to be that. So I hope that uh, you enjoy these two presenters. And then from that point on, I have the rest of the classes. Um, and we'll finish out what we have thus far. So um, that's it. You have no homework, as far as I know, until we get back. <laughs> until we get back. Uh, when I'm teaching, I do ask you guys this. I know you're probably not going to do it, but I want you to. And I want you to push yourself. We're talking about virtue, discipline, self-sacrifice. I want you to go back and read the sections from C.S. Lewis. I want you to go back and read through your notes. I want you to start internalizing this stuff. Don't make this about a grade. Make this about life. Make this something that's going to change your heart. That you're going to start something new when you walk out of this class. I don't care if you get an A if your life is an F. I'd rather have you get a D and have you have a huge conversion. Because then, you know, you might show up and you're like, Jesus, I got a D. Jesus is like, great, you're in heaven. That's the good news. <laughs> right? Okay, so have a good night. Have a good spring break. Remember on spring break, Jesus is watching you. <laughs> watching you.